Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we're podcasting like we've never podcast before. About Maniac, Maniac, the TV Netflix show. Dunna. Good job. That's just perfect. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's called Maniac. It's called Maniac. So, so we then. are talking about the 2018 show that has just aired on Netflix. As Netflix does, it dropped all the episodes at once. I believe they're calling it a limited series. So okay. I think maybe like either this is going to be like an anthology series or this is it. It's like a mini series. Okay. Anyway, it's called Maniac. It stars Emma Stone and what's his name? <laughs> Jonah Hill. Sorry? Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. And we watched it, and I i mean, we tweeted about this immediately, that, like, we're getting some Legion vibes from it. And so we wanted to, like, have a little discussion, talk about it a bit, for you, for those of you who are Legion fans who have seen this show. Yeah, I mean, so what we'll do is we'll start by talking non-spoilery about why we're talking about Maniac on our Legion podcast and then we'll give you a warning and move into discussing it fully spoiled. So if you haven't seen it, hopefully this will be like a enticing or maybe you'll listen to us talk and say, no, I don't feel like ever watching this. But yep. how did this show remind you of Legion, Jan? Well, the first, I mean, even in like my experience of watching it, the first time I watched Legion, I just had no idea what to expect. And it was the same with this. It like... Netflix recommended it, and you just pressed play. Yep. So we watched it having zero idea what it was going to be about. Maybe and even it, less than I did with Legion, because I yeah. knew that he what like that it was a X Men universe. Yeah. So right off the bat, it reminded me it was a bit surreal. the The filmmaking style was off putting, and the protagonist was mentally ill. Yep is mentally ill. And so those things hooked me right off the bat and there seems to be, and he's talking to someone who isn't there or he seems to be talking to someone who isn't there. Yeah. So yeah, it made me immediately want to watch the whole series. It's like like Legion, it's surreal in kind in the technical sense, right? Mm-hmm. Not just in the sense of whoa, that's really weird, but in the like it's using the psychedelic but also like 30s and 40s surrealism like showing us juxtaposing images that don't necessarily have a logical connection between them and you intuit a connection and read meaning into it and you know logical leaps that aren't really explained and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. there's quite a bit of that and then in the visual style too like images just next to each other or things that don't really Makes sense. And we could, without spoiling, we could say that there's levels of reality throughout the show. But even on the most real level of reality, like, again, it's not a spoiler to say Joan Hill's character, Owen, is schizophrenic. Like, that's in the description of the show. Yeah. So he's seeing things that aren't real. And so the camera's showing us things that aren't real. We're in his point of view a lot. And we are also, he has kind of daydreams and fantasies and mental illness and 
also it's a weird and unfamiliar world and it's hard to keep track of what are we seeing that's weird because this world is really weird what are we seeing that he's daydreaming but uh lucid <laughs> and what are we seeing that he's mentally ill and doesn't know what's real mm-hmm. it's that same kind of alienating sense as a viewer of like what am i seeing here right yes absolutely and then there's also on top of that that is very reminiscent of legion is this isn't a time period that you can put your finger on no it's got technology from the 80s it's very 80s in its technology but it's as if the 80s technology is transposed on the future or on like this dystopian gig economy world in a lot of ways, it's very, the aesthetic is reminiscent of like those 80s uh, cyberpunk movies like The Fifth Element and Blade Runner mm-hmm. and those kind of things. I think that's for uh, deliberate, Definitely on right? Purpose. Well, Owen's apartment, I swear, is exactly from The Fifth Element. I forgot to go and double check before we recorded this, but the neon signs outside the window and the like really closed cramped quarters it's basically all one tiny room is very reminiscent of fifth element mm-hmm. yeah for sure and like there's also just a lot of the element like like you said futuristic technology it's taking gig economy is a big thing in the outermost world so it's taking like uh technological anxieties of 2018 Mm-hmm. It's not redoing all the same things from those 80s dystopian cyberpunk movies. No. But it's reproducing a lot of the aesthetic of them, especially in the outermost reality. And just like Legion, like when exactly is it set? Eh. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> is it yeah, the future? It is not... it the past? Is it an alternate world? We're not telling you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. It doesn't really seem plausible that it's the future of our current reality. No, I feel like it's a future in which the technology of the 80s is what got, was what stayed the same. Yeah, it's like an alternate present. Yeah. Most likely. Anything else we want to say about here in the unspoilery? Like if someone's wondering whether they want to watch it. Yeah, why would you want to watch this? If you're a fan of Legion, if you're a fan of TV... What makes you want to watch this? I think that just like Legion, uh, if you're a fan of Legion, you don't mind being unsettled by a show. You don't mind being uncertain about what is happening. You enjoy the kind of mental exercise of uncoding and discovering what is happening. And there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of opportunity to do, do that in Maniac. There's some central kind of themes in common like what's the nature of reality and how do we understand the world we live in uh and mental illness as a theme so some ideas in common mm-hmm. um how do you think maybe before we maybe here in the unspoilery thing too uh how do you think all the actors are doing i cannot believe this is jonah hill because what I'm familiar with Jonah Hill is from, like, gross-out, stoner, teen garbage movies that I do not like, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and, like, very much like a comedian. Like, I've never seen him in a serious role. And this is, I mean, it has comedic moments. Yeah. 
but this is a very serious, very subdued role. Yeah, it's not a comedic... I mean, I don't think it's a serious show. No. I think one of the differences, like, Legion has its funny moments, but this is much more like, I would call it a comedy, a dark comedy. A dark comedy, yes, absolutely. But I don't think his performance is comedic. No, not at all. And part of that, why it's a dark comedy, no one's performance is comedic. I mean, maybe one of the, maybe some of the performances are comedic. Neither of the leads are playing for laughs. Yeah, exactly. Right? One of the things that makes a dark comedy, maybe, I'm thinking of this as I say it, so maybe it won't be true, but is <laughs> that the lead is serious and the world is comedic and that's unsettling for the perspective character. Yeah. When the world is weird and wrong other things can be funny but the main character doesn't find them funny they find them disturbing yeah and that's what makes it dark yeah i'd say so yeah something like that <laughs> something and, and like that <laughs> emma stone also fantastic in this she is uh i kept getting her confused i thought this was margot robbie at first she looks exactly like margot robbie <laughs> i uh, no, she doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. She's all blonde in this one. In the yeah, <laughs> with the lo- with the straight blonde hair, there's some resemblance, I guess. Anyway, she yeah, she does fantastic as well. She is like both of them. Just they have to play so many roles on this show, and they play them all really well and really convincingly. And yeah. I imagine this is like a trippy show to film or to be to act in because like you don't even know necessarily what you're doing at any given moment but both of them do a great job of just going with it and fully embracing the character they're in at the moment yeah for sure i think especially emma stone actually Mm -hmm. i think uh jonah hill surprised me by being as good as he was as the like outermost character Mm -hmm. but i don't think he showed as much versatility playing the different versions of that character as Emma Stone did yeah absolutely but still it was like not what I expect from him Mm. (laughs) at all I didn't recognize him he also like lost a lot of weight yeah and playing a very different kind of character than I've ever seen and those two things together meant it was like halfway into the first episode when I was like is that Jonah Hill (laughs) yeah exactly all right so let's move into a spoilery discussion So if you haven't seen this show, from now on, we're going to talk about the entire show beginning to end. So thank you for listening if you haven't watched the show and see you later. Yeah, come back when you've watched the show. All right. So now here we are in the spoilery area. <laughs> Do we have spoiler music? I'll know yes. by you have just played it. You just heard it. Didn't you hear it playing? Out yes, of absolutely. This guy. So I felt like this show, I didn't know if I liked it until I watched the very last episode. Yeah. And so I'm still not 100% sure what I think of it. We just finished it last night mm-hmm. and... It's one of these shows where I didn't know what it was about until the last episode. Yeah, I totally agree with that. they just do this whole, they go off, they do this, uh, what do you call it, drug trial. They do this drug trial where they 
go to all these different realities, they do all these crazy things, and like in the real world or whatever, the outermost world, there's this sad robot and or sad computer. Not robot. Computer, yeah. Gertie the sad computer. And all these layers are building up, and I'm just like, how does this end? If this ends with like everyone dead, then that was what it was about. But it ends with like kind of a happy ending. Yeah. So like I def I felt exactly the same that like one of the things that makes this such an in- one of the things that makes this such an interesting show to watch is like you said, I didn't know where it was going. I didn't know what it was about. And uh it's not formulaic so that having seen eight out of the ten episodes, I still don't know where it's going. In that I still don't know, like, what kind of show this is. Mm-hmm. I know it's a dark comedy, but is it a... Yeah. How... What's gonna... How dark is it? How dark is it? And how comedy is it? And what are we building towards? Um, So, like, having seen the end, then, do you have... Because... Okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> Even before we get to the end, there's some answers to what it's about. Like, it's about trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see that... Both with Owen and Annie, but also James, the doctor, uh, and Azumi, and Robert, who dies, also is, like, coping with trauma with his son. And, like, even minor characters, like, there's all these, it's all about trauma and how do you cope with trauma. And we see good ways and bad ways of coping with trauma. And every one of the, like, alternate realities, at first, it is not clear but eventually it becomes clear that those are all in their heads uh, and their ways of them coping with their trauma symbolically and metaphorically and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So that's clear right away. Yeah. The, the computer has trauma. The characters, human characters all have trauma. They're coping with it some well and some badly. And so what I was expecting in the middle of it was that we'd get some kind of, like, statement on or or perspective on trauma and its effect and how you cope with it by the end of the show. Do you think, like, did we? I'm not sure we did. Or I feel like, like, the whole premise of the drug trial was you can be cured without therapy. Yeah. And so, in the end... It feels almost like they're cured or like yeah, well, they feel like they're cured. Well, Annie does. Annie does, right? And it definitely, it feels to me like what the endings, the ending, they uh, drive off together into the sunset. Drive off together into the sunset. And like, maybe that's a statement on like, we heal trauma together. Mm. They find each other. Yes. And like, why are we hearing their stories? There's other people in the drug trial, but we hear their stories because they end up connected to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's more healing than being isolated. Yeah. And for both of them, what ends up actually healing them isn't so much the drug trial as finding and connecting with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's, that is maybe the truth at the end of this show. Is that they but, find each other. But then also, I think she ends the show much more clearly having been 
I mean, the the Dr. James says you're healed, not you're cured, but you're healed. You're healed. She seems much more clearly to have been healed of her trauma by the end of the show than he does. Yeah. Do you want to maybe go through each of their characters and what we think, what happens to them and how we understand it? Yeah, well, let's, yeah, let's start with Annie. Okay. So, I mean, we're given this premise of her, like, she's a mess when we first meet her. Yeah. She's just like this walking disaster who's broke and drug addicted to drugs or addicted to a drug. A ha. Huh? <laughs> um and her father lives in some kind of a computerized box. He does. There her sister is away. She we don't know her sister's dead at first. No. She's like, I'm going to visit her, which was yeah. interesting. I guess that meant her grave. Maybe. Or she's just in that much denial. Uh, and she steals all this money from her father. Yeah. So, yeah, she's just she's just a mess. And we get to know her through this finally getting to know what happened to her sister. And then it, I felt like everything clicked into place. Yeah. As soon as you know that her sister is dead, like you know there's some kind of trauma with her sister and that they're estranged and they fought and whatever. But as soon as you find out that her sister is dead, everything kind of clicks into place as to how she's going to be healed. Her sister's dead and she thinks it's her fault and maybe it is. Mm -hmm. And she like was bad to her sister before she died. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Annie's trauma is much clearer, much more straightforward. Yes. It's like... She has her mom abandoned them and was bad. Yeah. And that's kind of underlying it. But she also has like a moment of trauma that yeah. she's spending all her time coping with this one moment. And they're like, when we learn that the reason she's taking the drug is she, when she takes the drug, she relives the last minutes of her sister's life and the worst moments of her life. So why does she do it over and over is because she's with her sister. Yeah, exactly. It's very much more clear, I think, with her than with Owen. Like, she has to come to grips with her sister's death, and then she'll be able to move on. Like, she, what she needs is pretty clear. Mm -hmm. And in all the different versions, the different they call them reflections, we eventually learn. Mm -hmm. In all the different reflections, it's like we have a sense of what it is she's trying to do, and she slowly gets better at it, right? Like, she... Mm -hmm. Uh, in one of them, she goes back and uh, try and like the whole story with the lemur that was like weird. But then in, when we find out that the woman she's giving the lemur to is the woman who killed, who's the mother of the driver who killed her sister. And she tries to talk her out of having kids. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, so she tries to fix her trauma by stopping it from happening. Mm -hmm. And then in like the spy story, she's like betrays owen and is awful and she tries to kind of symbolically prevent trauma by alienating people again yes exactly right yeah and then eventually and by trying to find an object that will make her live in a fantasy world yes that too and then eventually she in like the elf world <laughs> yeah makes peace with her sister and her sister's like actually spends some time with her sister and remembers her and talks to her about all this stuff 
And then in the very end, she, like, says goodbye to her. Mm-hmm. And that's what she needed. And we can see that she's been going, cycling around and around and getting closer and closer to being able to actually say goodbye to her sister. And in the elf world, like, she's unwilling to say goodbye to her sister, but it just hurts her, right? Yeah. And then by the end, so then by the end of the show, she's much more emotionally stable and she can go and help Owen out and she can go off on a new adventure and she's like still a complicated person, but she doesn't have this huge trauma looming over her anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the main thing. And she uh, can confront her father and tell him what she needs mm-hmm. and and find out that he's not as far gone as she thought he was when she gives this, this whole speech to the computer box and he's not in it. Yeah. But he heard her from the window. But he kind of, I mean, and what does that mean? He kind of heals from his trauma while she's gone. Mm-hmm. So she was, her brokenness was part of what was breaking him. And he thought she was gone. Yeah. He thought that that was the end. The last one's gone. I'm on my own now. Yeah. But then, like, Owen, it is less clear to me this through line of exactly what he's been looking for the whole time and how to heal, how his trauma ends up being healed through this story. Well, he, his main thing is that he can't stand up to his family. Like, yeah. you have this overarching thing where from the very start, he's supposed to testify that he was with his brother when his brother did something awful. Mm-hmm. And he knows that he's going to lie, but he's he's committed to the family. And throughout his stories often have to do with him being committed to a family and not committed to a family. Right. And so... You have, like, the mobster family where he's betraying them by leaking information. You have, like, he runs off with the waitress and, like, and has, like, seven kids or whatever and and tries to abandon them. Right. By jumping out the window. Because it's another family. Because it's another family. And then in the story with the lemur... Is all about him being devoted to that family. Yeah, Being devoted exactly. to Annie. And like he ends up taking the fall for her. Mm-hmm. Because he's taking the fall again for what someone else did. Yeah, exactly. And in the... Hmm. And it feels too like... This is also... Like in the... Sp- okay. What about the spy story? What is he after there? Because it... Turns out that he was testing security for the owner of the house, who is Gertie. Right. And he's like, it's again, though, it's about loyalty and him being, he wants to be loyal to Annie, but she betrays him and he's duped again. Yeah. And him being, his loyalty is misplaced in that storyline. Yeah, exactly. Again. It also feels like there's a theme throughout all his stories of, like, he's not who he seems to be. Mm-hmm. And, like, the last one where he's, like, the Icelandic guy, but he's not really human is kind of that sci-fi story. Mm-hmm. Or the one where he's 
in the gang story, like the waitress says to him, you're uh, a lesson in not judging a book by its cover. Like even beyond the he's betraying his family, it's again and again, like there's more to him than there seems to be. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And what is that? I feel like that still has to do with his family because he's still being, he's been pigeonholed by his family again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And they treat him terribly. Mm -hmm. And, And so this is all just his fantasy of escaping. And in that, and because he he has that fantasy, he's able to stand up to them when he goes back to the real world and testify and testifies against his brother in court. Right. And that doesn't turn out so well, but he's able to actually do it. And then when Annie comes to get him, he's able to escape from the mental hospital or whatever it is mm-hmm. because he has learned to escape. Yes, exactly. He has learned not to be uh, trapped by misguided loyalties, but to actually pay attention to who cares about him. Mm-hmm. And he also gets cured of his uh, delusions. <laughs> he has, like, psych- uh, schizophrenic delusion of his brother that seems, of his fake brother that seems to be cured also. Because at the end of the... Uh, alien storyline we hear like oh i'm not gonna be around anymore Mm -hmm. and he isn't the other option for this whole thing is in the end we have owen saying it's either option a or it's option b with annie and option a is that she doesn't exist at all Mm -hmm. and option b is she does and things end up going horribly so what if it's option A? Does Annie actually exist? Is that part of the mind trip of this show is there's a potential there that Annie is Owen's delusion, just like his brother was? I don't think so, though, because we see too much from her perspective. There is, but his brother does actually exist. So he sees a secondary brother. So is there's a real Annie? Yeah. But the Annie that he encount that Owen encounters at the end is that still again the real Annie? I don't think so because we see her go into the mental hospital from the outside. Yeah. Oh come on! I don't think that there's really any. I don't suspect at all that the reality is in doubt. I think he's in doubt about reality, but we see too much from her perspective, and we see too much from the doctor's perspective. Like yeah. there's a chance. In my mind, like I flitted past the option that, like, maybe the whole drug t- trial is a delusion. Yeah. But no, because we see James and Greta, or uh, Gertie, or whatever her name is, uh, Sally Field. <laughs> Greta is the mom, Gertie is the computer. We see them all, like, in things that Owen isn't involved in. Yes, that is true. So they're not delu- his delusions. I- mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to mention about trauma. Azumi is, like, agoraphobic or something. Yeah. Because when she goes to get James, he's like, you came outside. And then at the end, you you can drive? Like, he's not used to her being out in the world. She's obviously got some kind of issues. But she's worked through them. 
Yeah. And Greta says, like, about Azumi, that this whole trial, you're hoping to heal yourself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But she doesn't take the pills. No. And she is basic. I mean, if not healed, she's functional. Yeah. Right? Yeah, She exactly. can drive. She can go outside when she needs to. She gives him a lift somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and to move on to more other side characters as well, Gertie, this computer, this emotional computer, is a big character in the show. She is. And it felt like um, at the very end, her and Annie are on the elevator. Annie finally gets to tell her sister how she feels. Gertie is mourning and uh, in so much pain. And it felt like she had a breakthrough. But then within the real world, they end up killing her. They end up completely shutting her down. When I felt like she was going to be okay. I think definitely the show shows us her coping with her trauma and recovering from it and like it makes logical sense it makes character sense that they would break that they would turn her off because they don't know she's made this breakthrough yeah but in terms of the story like that was kind of a blow (laughs) yeah exactly and maybe that's the like not everything ends up happily ever after Mm mm-hmm not everyone recovers from their trauma. And in the end, she's a computer. And in the end, she's a computer. And so she can be disabled. Mm-hmm. There's like... The relationships... Like, the show ends with a lot of relationships being healed. Mm-hmm. But, like, Robert and... Uh, or James, not Robert. James and uh, Greta, his mother... Mm-hmm. Their relationship isn't healed by the end of the show. No, definitely not. And, like, his, he has a disorder where he, like, wants to have sex with holographic women. Yeah, I'm not really sure what's up with that. But, like, he says that's under control, but we, like, it wasn't when we meet him and Mm -hmm. he just, like, asserts that it's true. Yeah. He wears a toupee for most of the show. Yeah. And there's, like, I think a sense there of what we see of him is false. Yeah, absolutely. Right? That why do you start that character with having him be bald, having him be, like, have these, uh, in a holographic reproduction, have this big fake hair, and then he is balding, and then he puts on a toupee that he wears for then the rest of the show, and we have no acknowledgement of, like, his reality. Yeah. Again. I think that's a seed to us that, like, he is not healed or cured or better and within the drug trial lab whatever is not reality it's like everything that exists in there has its own has a falseness to it yeah so i think we've talked about all of the characters the show in general what let's just talk about what we liked about it like why did we keep watching this show what moments did you find funny and good and interesting what did you like about this show there was so like we started off this episode saying this and i'm going to come back to it like it was surprising it was surprising throughout i thought emma stone was so good uh every one of her incarnations 
was really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and like when she shows up in the reality where with the lemur with like the great big perm eighties hair, uh, and like that was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and, like the lemur. Just the fact of it, I need to get this lemur, and like it ends up having a bigger meaning, but. That storyline was really funny, I thought. Yeah. And the, like, lots of the little details, like the uh, the doctors all sleep in these drawers in the, the drug trial place yeah. that are horrible. <laughs> they made me feel claustrophobic just looking at them. I was like, that is just horrifying. I would never, ever be able to handle that. I love... Uh... The storytelling and the visual storytelling in, like, there's repeat characters. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I definitely want to watch the show again at some point to get a sense of what actors repeat between the storylines. And what what does that mean for them? Right. Yeah, so, like, there's the cop from the real world... Or not the cop, the, the, like, building security from the real world in one of the first scenes. It is a really funny scene when, like, Annie's walking past the building and she, like, digs through the garbage and he comes out and is like, hey, don't dig through the garbage. She's like, are you a cop? He's like, there's not much of a difference authority-wise. Which is a hilarious line. And then he shows up in one of her, in her reflection with the lemur as uh, animal control saying the same line. Mm-hmm. And so the people who show up in the world of their minds are, like, people that they are taking from their experience and and inserting them, right? Yeah, it makes it very dreamlike. Yeah. That, you know, characters from your life play other characters in your dream. Yeah. And I like the way it plays with, with your mind that way. And so you're constantly figuring out who is who and then... You know, I feel like I, yeah, I could watch it again a couple more times and get a d- deeper sense of why those characters are repeating and what that means to Annie and Owen. What'd you think of the whole most outermost reality concept of like, you can pay for things with ad bucks and like just be advertised to forever and then you can buy a newspaper or what have you? Yeah. I mean, that felt like a very dystopian version of our world like like i could really see that happening right not quite like that but like this idea of we're almost there we just do it electronically is well i could pay to get this game on my phone or i can just watch ads yeah and half the time you know oh i get an extra life if i watch an ad well I'll just put my phone down for those 30 seconds, let the ad play, and then go back to it. And what if that was a real person that I could just kind of ignore who was talking to me? Yeah. You know? It's so good. So well done. It's so compelling as like a visual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the the place that doesn't take ad bucks and how he's like, how he's like, Oh, I, you know, am, he's basically like a Luddite in that world. And you can really see how that would be exactly people you'd run into, stores you'd go to that 
in these days, it's like stores that only take cash. Yeah. And you're like, ugh, you only take cash? I don't carry cash. Because they're watching you and tracking your transactions. Yeah. And like, they they're are. not wrong. They are. Yeah. They are watching you and tracking your transactions. That is definitely true. Yeah, exactly. So like, <laughs> it's a sad reality that I don't want to think about. Yay, let's not think about it. Um, What's funny about it? Like, we keep saying it's a dark comedy. I'm trying to put my finger on exactly I know. what's funny about it. I was like, off mic, I was like, we should talk about, you know, the parts that we thought were really funny. And then you were like, what parts did you like, Paul? And I was like, um, I can't think of a moment that was funny. But like, for example, <laughs> when they are hunting for the lost chapter of Don Quixote... That in itself is funny. That is a chapter that Cervantes wrote that was so compelling that anyone who reads it is going to be in a fantasy forever. Yeah. Uh, comatose. And they play it very straight and serious. Mm-hmm. And then he unlocks the uh, safe and he brings out this tiny little book. I'm like, why is it so small? People were a lot smaller back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good moment and a weird moment. And then Tiny Book comes up again later. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's yeah, Owen good. reads his confession when he's the Icelandic guy off of, like, teeny tiny pages. That's another moment of just straight-up comedy, by the way, when he's the Icelandic guy and he starts by telling his life story. And he's <laughs> like, my father was German and my mother was Finnish by way of France and... uh that's why my accent sounds so weird. <laughs> my unique accent is a great, like, yeah, so that but... Jonah Hill doesn't have to worry about doing an authentic Icelandic accent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, like, so there are the moments of just outright comedy. Yeah, it's, it's absurdity. It, like, a lot of what the comedy is, is so absurd that it's yeah. comedic. And then so over the top, like, you have the... The whole lemur story with the the fur guys and how ridiculous they are, yeah, is funny. And they have the code to the door, like written on a post it <laughs> note stuck above the code. Yes, and it's one two three four. Yeah. <laughs> and then later, when she's like, they've changed the code, and she has to talk to Owen. She's like, "What do you say when you count in to start dancing?" Five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, and that's the code. <laughs> yeah, because they like dance. Those are all like funny. Mm-hmm. All these things though are funnier when they happen yes. because it's like this deadpan, surreal. You don't know when something bizarre and absurd is going to happen, and it takes you off guard. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a little like Fargo in that way. It is. The dark humorness of it is is reminds me a bit of Fargo. I think it plays into the comedy a little heavier than Fargo does, mm-hmm. but it does. It is Fargo definitely is funny. Yep. So, I mean, I feel like I have more to say about Maniac, but it's not coming to me. Do you have anything <laughs> else you particularly want to say or ask about this show? I think I just want to say that, like, it's good. It's, uh, you know, it's no Legion, to be honest. Like, I'm not going to pretend like it is. It's no Fargo. But it's an interesting show, compelling show. I would love to hear people's thoughts on it. If you guys, if any of you guys out there have watched it and have some thoughts and have some 
like why does it remind us of legion it just does in a way like we've kind of tried to put our finger on it but there's just something about it so uh yeah let us know if you want to have more of a chat uh you can do that on twitter at clockworkscast if you want to be really spoilery maybe send us just a, a direct message in twitter or you can send us an email clockworkscast at gmail.com these in-between episodes between seasons are all because we are supported on patreon yep. so if you like these in-between things and this extra stuff uh you can contribute to that by going to patreon.com slash clockworkscast, where you can give as little as a dollar and as much as you want to just help us out with our costs and make it us able to record uh, this podcast and our other podcast at the same time. Absolutely. No waiting. <laughs> <laughs> if you have ideas for future episodes we could do in between in the off season of Legion, let us know. Yeah, we'll, all those places I just listed. We'll definitely take requests. Well, we'll consider requests. <laughs> so we hope to hear from you guys. I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. Goodbye. Hello. Welcome to Pot. <laughs> Podcast, a legion clockworks. Hello, welcome to Legion. No, it's still wrong. <laughs> do you want me to do it? <laughs> I think one more crack at it. I, I run through two of the possibilities. <laughs>